بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد Today I just want to quickly You've probably heard these things uh, quite often But what I want to do today is that there's a great scholar uh, I've covered some of his works before uh, Imam Nahlawi, and he's got this book on ethics, Kitab al Hadr wal Ibaha, a huge section in there on ethics. And I want to just quickly refresh our understanding of dealing with one's parents. So the discussion is basically from a slightly fiqhi ethical perspective, but inshallah it will serve to just refresh for us. Uh, it serves as a reminder really and I find it very useful sometimes because when we have our parents we take them for granted and we d sometimes become a bit lazy in terms of our adab and in terms of our value of our parents. So I always find these discussions actually very useful uh, to remind me where my shortcomings are and uh, what I can do better inshallah. So I'm just going to cover it in his words and just comment where necessary. Basically, the, the, the chapter here that he calls it, the section rather, it's called Incidents, Harm to One's Parents. Incidents or Harm Towards One's Parents. So, Incidents, uh, Harm or Recalcitrance to One's Parents, which in Arabic is called Uqukul Walidain, is one of the greatest sins in Islam. It's one of the severest enormities in Islam. Like, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big problem. Because it's at the nucleus of enti the entire society. Uh, it's, it's a relationship which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to us that you can't change. You can't change your parents. You can change your spouse. You can have new children. If you lose some children, you can have more children. right? You can change friends. You can have another business. You can buy something else which is, uh, you, you know, you can replace an object which is lost. But the one thing that you cannot change in this world is your parents. So that's a very important relationship that has to be maintained. And clearly there are challenges in that because not everybody is the same and not everybody is reasonable in their approach towards things. So he starts off by saying that it's one of the greatest enormities and major sins in Islam to have insolence towards them. So he starts off that with a basis. And then he proves that by saying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that your Lord has decreed that you worship none save him and that you show beautiful kindness to your parents. And if in your presence one or both of them reach old age, then don't say even oof to them, nor reproach them with force, yet speak to them with noble and generous words. That's the normal situation, that's the default situation, and that is what the ruling is in the Quran. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَاخْفِضْ لَهُمَا جَنَاحَ ذُلِّ مِنَ الرَّحْمَةِ وَقُلْ رَبِّ ارْحَمْهُمَا كَمَا رَبَّيَانِ صَغِيرًا Which basically means and lower for them the wing of humility out of utter compassion and then make the following invocation of dua which is, O oh my Lord, have mercy on them just as they did when they raised me just as they did, meaning just as they had mercy on me and acted with mercy towards me when they raised me in childhood. So essentially we're reciprocating, we're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to reward them for what they did for us. So this is essentially what Allah is telling us that we must make dua for them. Allahumma rabbirhamhum. And there's a dua that's mentioned in the Quran about that or you can say it in your own language. 
So now, how does insolence occur? How does uququl walidain, as in Arabic it's called, how does that occur? It occurs only when there is antagonism. When there's antagonism towards them, if they're not calling you towards disbelief. Since if they're calling you towards disbelief and you reject what they say, you deny what they say, then that's completely fine because there's no obedience to creation when it entails disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because in the hierarchy Allah comes first. I mean in fact the most re un in irreplaceable is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He comes first and we don't even have to be here. He created us and then comes his prophet. So our obedience to Allah is primary then to his prophets sallallahu alayhi wasallam and both of those uh, the, both of those obediences uh, are essentially the same they're going to be synchronized because whatever is the satisfaction of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that will be the satisfaction of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam they completely synchronized and in tandem there's never going to be a difference but the third in that hierarchy it's uh, allah the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam then our parents but the, in terms of our parents, when compared to the first two, there, there can be differences. Sometimes parents are very upset when we do something against culture, because that is what they think is going to bring them down and cause them some kind of embarrassment. And it's completely fine if you do something against Allah. That's not a problem for them. Some parents are like that. that they only have a problem when there's embarrassment towards them or their family or their culture. Even if that culture is anti-Islamic. So that's where generally the challenge comes about. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran this uh, turmoil or tension between the parents and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, if the two of them, meaning your parents, strongly urge you to associate with me that which you have no knowledge of, and you'll never have knowledge of anything besides Allah because there is nothing, right? So there are no partners to Allah, then obey them not. Allah makes that very clear. So then obey them not, yet still give them good companionship in life. Now this is where he still says that despite that tension, you still have to have good companionship with them in life. You still have to speak to them about other things. You still have to look after them when, need, when they are in need. You still have to rejoice at their other happinesses. You still have to take part in their sorrow. You still have to serve them, uh, bring things for them, uh, obligations that they have, uh, worldly things that they need to be taken care of. You need to do all of those things. That's besides the point. Now, that's where the challenge comes. That if some parents are unreasonable, they're telling us to do something which is not religious. How do you, in your mind, how do you compartmentalize that? How do you isolate that? Okay, I can't listen to them in this, but I must listen to them in this. Because human beings, they, they do things wholesale, right? If somebody bothers us, if somebody's benefited us for years and years and years, and then they do one thing which is wrong, we basically forget everything of the past. We can't separate that in our mind and say, look, this is just one point. Let us focus on everything else. It's not as bad as that. So let us not jump to conclusions. Let us not make judgments based on one occurrence or a few occurrences, you know, compared to a whole life of uh, nurturing, a whole life of care and compassion and mercy that they've shown to us. That's why Allah says, yet still give them good companionship in this life. Even if, they call, even if they're telling you to do disbelief. So um, even kufr does not allow for insolence 
uh, to the extent, uh, Imam Nahlawi says, that it is wajib and mandatory on a Muslim to provide expenses for even his non-Muslim parents if they don't have the capacity to earn for themselves. If they physically cannot go out to work for whatever reason and they can't support them, then he's obliged to do that even if they're non-Muslim. So when it comes to biology, a biological relationship that is irreplaceable, that is unique and that is God-given and that it cannot be transferred or changed, then we need to maintain that and we need to fulfill that and the way to do that is if they are in need. I mean, if the parents are not in need, then you're not obliged to give them like a monthly stipend. That's not an obligation by default. It's when they don't have the money and they need it. So if they're unable to earn, then we, it's obligatory and wajib to provide an expense for them as well as in general to serve them, be kind to them and still visit them. Of course, there will be exceptional cases, right, where you've got parents who, if you go to their house and say, look, if you want to come here, you need to do kufr, or you need to do this crazy act, or whatever it is, right? And you're always going to be almost forced and compelled to take part in a haram activity, then maybe you'll have to have a different kind of relationship. You still have to have a relationship, maybe you can have a different type of relationship. You know, those kind of parents do exist where it's so extreme. They've got extreme hatred. Uh, sometimes that can be the case, especially with converts. May Allah make it easy for them. But a lot of the time it does ease out. And um, especially nowadays, many parents are quite okay with the whole thing. And they try to even accommodate in this kind of a situation. Right. So that's why he says that an exception for the latter case of uh, being kind and visiting them is if he fears that if he visits them, they might influence him to leave Islam. And he's not very strong and they're just going to force and it's just the compassion. Uh, sorry, it's just that he's going to feel emotionally blackmailed to do so and so on. Then, then he has to because his iman is primary. Because that relates to his hereafter as well. And it relates to the right of God. So in that case, it's permissible for him not to visit them. Rather, maybe speak to them on the phone or whatever the case is. Uh, there's a hadith on the authority of Abu Bakr radiallahu an that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said for all types of sins Allah now this is frightening for all types of sins Allah delays whatever he wills of the punishment meaning a lot of the punishment of it Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will delay it until the hereafter you won't be punished in this world so you won't even know you've done something wrong sometimes that's I guess maybe that's the danger danger in this Except for the incidence to one's parents. Incidence to one's parents, such a person, Allah expedites, which means he hurries up and he hastens the punishment for him in this life before death. So they get punished in this life. And if they don't get that, that it's punishment for that reason. Because sometimes when we get punishment, we don't know what it's connected to. Because we don't think about it. That's why if we ever have a calamity and it seems like a punishment, we should actually start thinking, why was that the case? What did I do wrong? That's a very healthy attitude because if we don't, and we don't realize why it's happened, then we won't make tawbah, we won't repent, we won't change, and then we'll have a punishment in the hereafter again. That's why it's a good idea that anytime something goes wrong, we always think back, what did I do wrong? What could I have done wrong? And whatever it is, just make tawbah. 
This phenomenon, he says, is observed amongst people and is well known to be true. It's not something he has to prove. He says, it's mentioned in the hadith which is related by Mustadrak of, uh, in the Mustadrak of Imam Hakim and Ibn Hibban relate that hadith that the punishment will come in this world before death, right? But it's also well experienced. Everybody talks about these things generally. So now, uh, just a quick reminder of the rights a person owes to his parents. Just a quick refresh of them. I mean, most of us know these things generally. It's just a reminder. Number one is to flatter them, to make them feel good, to make them feel loved, basically, to flatter them, to say good things to them. Show appreciation, essentially. Number two, this is very interesting, to not raise your voice above theirs. To not raise your voice above theirs. Now that becomes sometimes difficult if parents become old and hard of hearing. Then you actually see a lot of children who are adults now, older themselves, and they will go and shout out to the parents. And for an onlooker, it sounds a bit strange sometimes until they explain, oh, because they can't hear properly. But it sounds rude. It just sounds rude. Because when you speak loud, you have to speak harshly to a certain, with a bit of an edge. Right, to get the words through. It's very difficult to see, speak softly loud. Now what's very interesting is that just recently somebody told me about somebody he knows. That he knew this, that you should not speak loudly to your parents. And his mother, who was I think the only surviving parent, I think, was hard of hearing. So he would go to visit her physically. And he would sit in her company for, for, for a long time. But he would not speak to her. Because if he had to speak to her, he'd have to speak loud and he wanted to avoid raising his voice above hers. So he would listen to her and he would just watch her, he would not say anything. And then after that he would spend long time on the phone speaking to her. So regularly he would speak to her on the phone for, for, for a very long time, but whenever he would go to physically meet her, he wouldn't say anything. Because it was no point. So just to avoid speaking loud. When he died eventually, he died a very good death. I think, I believe, if I remember correctly, it was in Ramadan. He died in a very, very good state. Now, the thing is that it's, I mean, obviously, in a case like that, where you have to communicate to, with somebody who can't hear properly, it's okay to speak a bit louder, as long as you're doing it with the right intention, because intention matters and motive matters. But he wanted to follow the letter of the law, and that's what you call adab. You don't have to do this, but he wanted to do this. He wanted to go the extra mile. And what I want to explain is that in Islam, the extra mile, right, doing something extra for the sake of the adab and etiquette, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala values those things. There's a value for these things in this world because they just help to create a better society. So sometimes we think, we, we ask the question to people, uh, to ulama and to scholars, that is this wajib, is this necessary, I've got this exceptional scenario, what about this, can I just take this leeway? Well, you can, from a fiqhi perspective, you can. But really from an other perspective, if you don't have to, and if you can work on the optimal, and the primary, and the etiquette, Allah will value that. Because at the end of the day, that has to come from a state of the heart. And the state of the heart is more valuable to Allah than even our actions. I don't mean to the exclusion of our actions. A lot of people get that, get that wrong. That it's just how you feel. Now, if you feel very compassionate and good and love Allah, but you, it never translates into actions, it means that the feeling of the heart is fake. It's not right. It's not sufficient. There, there, there's nifaq there.
right? Or there's some kind of hypocrisy there, right? So it's when you try your best, but your state wants that you would like to do even better if you physically could. Allah will value that. A person who wants to pray, but they're stuck in traffic and there's no way they can stop. It's pouring out outside. And they miss their asr prayer. Every day they get it. They made the effort, but today there was just extra traffic. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala likes that person and loves that person more than the munafiq who was in Medina Munawwara, who would go for prayer in the masjid because they had to, otherwise they'd be caught. They'd become known to be hypocrites. So he was praying all the prayers with the Prophet in Masjid Nabawi. But Allah loves this other person better who is living in London or New York or wherever it is. And he's missed his prayer accidentally on that day because of this huge freak occurrence of extra traffic. So at the end of the day, it's the state of the heart in that context. Otherwise, it's just wrong to say I've got a good state of the heart, but I don't do anything with it. That's not, you can tell people I'm so kind, I'm so generous, I feel for you, but you never do anything for them. Oh, I feel for the people of Syria or for the people of Palestine. You never do anything. That's just claims. It's a desire, but it's a latent desire that has not given rise to anything, that hasn't manifested itself. So to not raise the voice above theirs, to not, to, to not speak loudly to them. Of course, as I mentioned, there are exceptions where they have to be heard, then that's different. To obey them in religiously permissible matters, for indeed Allah's good pleasure is in their pleasure, and His wrath is in their frustration. Anything permissible and religious that they're telling you to do, and they want you to do it in a particular way, is good to do it that way. right? And to not do things which will make them angry, unless they're being unreasonable. Then don't make the judgment to yourself that they're being unreasonable. Go and consult with a scholar, that's important. To not ascribe one's lineage to other than the parents. To say, I'm not their child, I'm somebody else's child. You know about that. That's quite well known that that's a prohibition. Because again, that's, that is basically ingratitude. That you're disowning your own parents and trying to be somebody else's when that's not the reality. Now, you do this basically out of disdain for them. That certainly brings Allah's curse. And number six is to spend on, on them from His wealth as a person is not taken to account for spending on his parents. As much as you spend on your parents, it will never be considered israf. If you spend on yourself or your, your friends, and it's over the top, it's beyond what's the norm and reasonable, you'd be sinful. Because it's haram to do israf and tabdhir, right? Squander your wealth and go extravagant. But with your parents, it's fine because you want to earn their st- satisfaction. Number seven, to gaze upon them with love, tenderness, and compassion. For each gaze, for each gaze, he will be rewarded a righteous and accepted hajj. Now, essentially, how do you do that if you're a bit embarrassed? I mean, if you're going to sit in front of them, they're looking at you, and then you're going to give them this admiring look. That might seem a bit awkward sometimes. Right? You might be embarrassed to do that. So do it from the side when they're not looking. And think to yourself, I'm doing this. It, it will help to build a heart. And of course, if they can see it, it's even better because it makes them feel good. And the benefit of this is that you get an accepted hajj reward for that. Uh, the number eight, he says, to not leave them for a military expedition, hajj, or for se- seeking even sacred knowledge, for serving them is better than all of that. That is, of course, 
if they are in need of your help. Otherwise, nobody would ever go to study, nobody would ever go out, nobody ever would go to Hajj if it was always better. They say, I'm just serving them. This is obviously if they need and they're helpless and they've got nothing else, then your jihad is with them. Is to basically serve them because they need you and you're the only person in the world that they have that's tied to them through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's biological gift. Number nine is to not sit ahead of them in a gathering, which is just to show respect. Number ten is to not call them by their names. Right? To not call your mother or father by their name. But rather say, oh mother, oh father, or some other, some other affectionate name. Uh, number 11 is to not, proceed, uh, to not precede them in anything, such as eating, drinking, sitting, speaking. Let them start first, out of adab. Number 12 is to not stare at them with a sharp look. Especially if they say something that is bitter. Then we have a tendency just... I mean, many of us have a tendency that if something, somebody says something bitter, we screw up our face. We change the complexion. We change our, uh, the, the way we look. We give a sharp look. So with parents, you just have to be a lot more in control. Number 13 is when they die, to pray the funeral prayer over them, obviously. Seek forgiveness for them. Uh, fulfill any contracts that they had outstanding or any bequest that they had, that would be also honoring them even after their death. To honor their friends even after death. Can you imagine it? We're told that after your parents die, you have to go and honor their friends. Which means you visit them and you continue a relationship with them. If you have to do that with their friends, then when they're alive, then can you see the importance of doing that with them themselves? If you have to worry about their friends afterwards, then what about them themselves when they're alive? Subhanallah. Maintain their kinship ties. So don't basically give up all of your relatives once they're gone. Because they're still your relatives. Spend charity on their behalf. Give charity on their behalf. Sadaqa Jariyah that is. Pray for them. And to believe, to think in one's heart that I have fallen short of fulfilling their rights when they were alive. Which then means that it'll just help us to give more sadaqa and do good things for them and make dua for them. If one visits both his parents' graves, every Friday it is written that he was kind and dutiful to them. I'm not sure if that's a hadith or not, but it's mentioned that um, it's a good idea to visit, especially on Fridays, but otherwise at any other time. And if you can't visit, then you just send some reward for them by doing a good deed like sadaqah or something. So there you go. That's just a quick recap and a reminder, inshallah, uh, because these reminders, inshallah, will help us to get stronger in our obedience to our parents and Hopefully will help us to remove the, the, the problems uh, from any of that. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, those the parents who we still have, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to show them that honor and respect and fulfill their rights and make them happy with us. Oh Allah, make it easy for them to be happy with us. And those who have passed away, then we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to fulfill their rights after their death by visiting their graves and to also give sadaq on their behalf to remind them uh, remi remember them to make dua for them and may allah make this easy for us and may allah then grant us uh, a good progeny as well wa akhir da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin